All right, it's really good to see everybody. Um, it's always a privilege and a joy to come here and, and share with you guys. Um, last time we were together, we finished up um, the first chapter of what is known as the London Baptist Confession of Faith, and we talked about the Word of God. It took us four months, right? Four, four different classes to get through that. And it's very important that we understand that the Word of God is the foundation for our faith. It's not my feelings, it's not my emotions, it's not my circumstances, it's not my pastor, it's not my friends. It, there, it is nothing in this creation, it is the very Creator's promise to you. And that's the foundation of our faith, and it has to be the foundation of our faith. Because if we put our dependence upon anything in the creation, it will drop us on our head. This whole creation is under a curse. And this whole creation is fallen. And so when we lean on our circumstances, or we lean on our emotions, or we lean on our feelings, or we lean on our habits, or our hobbies, or our careers, or our hopes, or our dreams, if we lean on anything in this creation, it will drop you on your head eventually. And so it's, we shouldn't trust in ourselves. We should trust in the Word of God. And so we were very thorough with that. We went through and we went uh, through a lot of Scripture and talked about God's Word. Why? Because that is the foundation of our faith. The foundation of our faith. God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, right? And we have to understand that it's in the name of Jesus that we are saved, right? The Son is the promise of God. Jesus is the very promise of the Father. All of the Bible is about Jesus. From Genesis to Revelation, it's all about Him. And so what we learn to do is we learn to focus on Jesus. Why? Because He is the promise. He is the Word. What does it say in John 1? In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And He was in the beginning with God. And all things were made through Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. And so by knowing Jesus and knowing the Scriptures, we have a foundation for our faith. We have something that we can believe. My faith has to be in something that is true. We finished up talking about that last time we were together. I can stand on top of a 10-story building and have all of the faith in the world that I can fly. But one million out of one million times, when I step off of that building, I'm going to fall to the ground and die. Mm-hmm. Why? Because gravity is a law that the Creator put in place, and the Creator does not bend His laws for anybody. Mm-hmm. And so if I put my faith in flying off of a building, my faith is in something that is not true, and so what's going to happen? I'm going to die. And it works the same way with your spiritual mm-hmm. life. If your spiritual life, if your faith is based on something that is not true, it will drop you. And so we need to make sure that we understand that it's God's Word that gives us our foundation and our hope. Now, with that said, tonight we're going to get into the second chapter of the London Baptist Confession of Faith. And we're going to look at some scriptures together. For those of y'all who are new or have not been a part of our groups before, um, I'm going to teach straight from the Bible because the Bible is the Word of God. And this confession that I'm using is not God-breathed. All it is is a group of men that got together and they uh, put down the foundations of, and principles of our faith and what we believe and they put it into words. And then they, if you'll notice at the bottom of each paragraph and each statement, there are links to each statement so that you can go in and find scripture that backs up what they say. So um, generally when you're talking to a friend of yours about Jesus, you don't have time to preach from Genesis to Revelation. 
So somebody's going to ask you something, and they're going to say, what do you believe? Right? And so if any of y'all have come from a Methodist background or an Anglican background or Episcopalian background or even a Catholic background or maybe uh, uh, any of the, the uh, high church, um, you would have learned something when you were a kid called the, the Apostles' Creed. Right? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was born of the Virgin Mary, or conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, He was crucified, dead, and buried. On the third day, He rose from the dead, He ascended into heaven, and He sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there, He will come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, uh, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting, right? And so that's a creed. And the word creed in Latin means I believe. That's what the word creed, credo, means in Latin. It means, in English, it means it's a Latin word that says I believe. So what is a creed? It's a statement of what I believe. And so for me personally, I adhere to the London Baptist Confession of Faith. There's lots of confessions out there. Uh, the Westminster Confession of Faith, the Osborne Confession. There's many different denominations and many different churches throughout the history of the church that have gone along and made these creeds. And the reason they make these creeds um, uh, is to, to fight against heresy, to define what we believe and point to the Scripture so that you can go there and find it. Um, and so... Uh, there, there's all kind of creeds out there. There's a creed to define who God is and what the Holy Spirit is and who Jesus is. It's called the Athanasian Creed. And what happened was back in the, like the third or fourth century, uh, men had gotten to say that, well, uh, Jesus and God and the Holy Spirit are all the same person. They're all the same being. They're all one. God is one, and so the Holy Spirit and God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are all one person. And so what they did is they conflated the Trinity. They, they said it's all one big thing. And so Athanasius comes along and a group of, um, uh, 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 what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, leader Bishops and leaders in the church all came from all around the world. They got together. They, they got, opened up the scriptures and they said, we're going to define who God is and what he's about. And so they wrote the Athanasian Creed, which defines God and helps us to understand the Trinity some. But so that's kind of what we're going to talk about tonight. We're going to talk about who is God and we're going to talk a little about the Holy Trinity if we get that far. Um, but now that we have the foundation of his word, now we're going to go into the word and we're going to talk about who God is. And why is that important? Well, turn with me to Romans, the book of Romans, and let's go to Romans chapter 11. Um, do any of you in here have a life verse? Do y'all know what a life verse is? Back in the, in the late, early 90s, um, it, it was a part of the Christian movement. You, you got you a life verse. Like it was your one verse in the Bible that really spoke to you. And uh, at a time in my life, um, this verse uh, spoke to me. Uh, this is my life verse. And you'll see why in just a second. Look at Romans 11.36. We're going to go a little bit behind it, but this is my life verse. Uh, it says, For of him... And through him and to him are all things to whom be the glory forever. Amen. So Paul is making, uh, uh, this is a, called a, a doxology, right? How many of y'all know what a doxology is? Anybody know what a doxology is? How many of y'all have ever been to church and sung? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him all creatures here below. Praise him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. That's a doxology. Doxa is um, praise, 
And logos is words, so it's words of praise. And so Paul wrote a doxology here in Romans chapter 11. And look what it says. Um, we'll, we'll go back a couple of verses behind 11.36. Because it, look what it says. Um, let's see. Let's look at verse 33. We'll start there. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and unfathomable His way. I didn't say that right, but. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has become His counselor? Or who has first given to Him that it might be paid back to Him again? For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things to whom be the glory forever. See, that's a, that whole verse is about Him. And we, as fallen uh, sons of Adam and daughters of Eve, we have a tendency to make things about us. You see? What's the first commandment? Who knows what the first commandment is? Yeah. The Lord your God is a jealous God. You shall have no other gods before Him. Why do you think God put that first? Uh, because we are... Um, it, John Calvin put it this way. He said, the human heart is an idol factory. We were created to worship God. And because we've turned our back on God and because we're in rebellion to Him, we're going to find something in the creation to worship. We were created to worship. That's why you were created. You were created to worship. I've used this illustration before. If you've heard it, forgive me. But we were created to worship. Um, are the fish all dead in the tank? No, they're still in there. They are. Yeah. So what are those, what are those fish in there doing? They're, they're sleeping or they're swimming though, right? Yeah. Why? Because that's what fish were created to do. Yeah. Fish were created to swim around and multiply and fill up the seas. I mean, that's what they do. They, they swim. That's what they're created to do. If you ever go fishing and you catch a fish and you throw him up on the bank, he, he will flop around. Right? You know why he's flopping around? Because he's trying... No, it's not that he can't breathe. He's trying to swim. He's trying to do what he does. But he has no water around him to support him in what he does. And so what does he do? He flops around and he dies. See, God created him to swim. And when you take him out of his, his water, the water, his environment, he's still trying to swim. Why? Because that's all he knows to do. But then he flops around and dies. Well, think about it this way. You were created to worship God. And when you turn your back on God, guess what you're going to do? You're going to worship. You're going to worship something because that's what you were created to do. But once you turn away from the Creator, the source of love and light and life and truth, once you turn away from Him, all there is left is darkness, death, hate, and lies. And so our natural, what we do as human beings is we turn away from God and we immediately find something in the creation to worship. Right? So... Think about some idols in your life. Um, I, we are in a recovery center here, and I guarantee you, and I'm speaking from personal experience, I'm not looking down on you, the drugs and the alcohol that we used in our lives was replacing God. What you were doing, where you were trying to find something to give you hope and peace and comfort and meaning and purpose in life. And the problem is you turned away from God and found something in the creation to fulfill that for you. 
and you have an enemy named Satan, and you have a world around you that's fallen, and they love to see you do those kind of things. And they influence you, and they encourage you along. And the trap of sin, the trap of sin is that by turning away from God, I can be free to do what I want to do, but the reality is once you turn to those idols, then you become a slave to your idols. Man. You see? And God knows that. What does it say? If you follow Him, know His Word, follow Him, you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And so how many of your friends do you know that are out there right now uh, drinking and drugging that think that they're free and they're, they're doing what they want to do? And they're deceived. And you know it because you can look back on it and see that you were a slave. It owned you. It made you who you were. And, and what happens is it's, it's the story all through the Bible that men become what they worship. God actually picks on the uh, Israelites. Uh, if, you, if you look in, the, um, in Psalms, in the book of Psalms and in Isaiah, there, there's one thing it said um, that you make these idols. You, you, you take a piece of wood and you cut it in half and you make a statue out of it and bow down and pray to it and then you take the other half of the wood and go put it in the fire and cook something with it. Right? But he said that they can't hear and they can't speak. These, these idols that you have, they can't hear, they can't speak. They, they can't see. And yet you turn away from the Creator that sees all and that has every word you need. And you turn to these idols and it, it destroys you. And you become like your idols. That's what you do. And so it's very important for us to understand who God is because we need to cling to Him and allow Him to cling to us. That was Adam's problem in the garden. Adam turned away from God. He turned away from God because he wanted to be free of God. And yet God is the only path to true freedom. So what did he do? What did Eve do? She turned away from God's truth and she turned to that fruit on the tree. And it looked good. It was desirable to the eyes to make one wise. And she took the fruit, she ate it, and she gave some to her husband who was with her. So what did she do? She, she turned away from truth and started chasing after her feelings. Right? You ladies in the room, you all are very good at that, right? <laughs> feelings, oh, 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 feelings, right? Never base your decisions on what you feel. Amen. Base your feeling and base your, your decisions on what is true. So what did he do? She turned to something that looked good. She, she turned to her sensual nature. We've talked about this in the past. I hope that sticks with you guys because every one of us in this room have gotten in trouble chasing after our sensual nature. Mm-hmm. Your senses. What looks good, what smells good, what tastes good, what sounds good, and what feels good. And our sensual nature is our downfall. Now, God gave us our senses, did He not? Right? And when we ride by, and uh, when we're riding through the mountains and we're watching the sunset over that beautiful creation, it catches our eyes, does it not? When we go lay on our backs in the desert at night and look up at the stars in the sky, it it takes your breath away, does it not? Amen. Right? Um, When I get up in the morning, that coffee pot's perking, that coffee just hits my nose just the right way. Mm, that smells good, right? A good steak. Your neighbor's cooking a steak, right? You could smell. I mean, he's given us our senses, and they're not a bad thing. Our problem is, is that we let our senses drive us instead of letting truth drive us. And the enemy knows that, and he knows just how to get to you. He knows what you want, 
And He's able to give it to you. And when He comes to you at first, He's going to come to you and He's going to look like an angel of light. That's what the devil is, an angel of light. And He always comes to you looking good. And it's always that same temptation. If you do this, you will really be free. And when you first start doing it, you actually are free of God. But you've turned away from being a servant of God and now you're a servant to your sin. As a servant of God, you have life and love and truth and hope. When you turn to the creation, all it brings you is death and darkness and hate and lies. And so it's very important for us to know who God is and know how to trust Him. But look at that passage again that we're looking at tonight. Look what he says. He says, um, well, i got to get back there. I must have got excited and flipped my page. Um, in verse 11, uh, chapter 11, verses 33, Oh, the depth and the riches of both the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unfathomable, unsearchable are His judgments and unfathomable are His ways. What does that mean? That means that He is the Creator and we are His creation. And we were created in His image. We are in the, created in the Omega Dei, if you want to be real fancy and talk Latin and impress your friend. The Omega Dei or Omega Deo, the image of God. And it's the one thing that helps us relate. I was just working with a guy last night at a clinic, and um, he's he plays in a band. He's um, he's been he's been a, um, deeply trenched in, in hallucinogenics for years and years, and uh, he's all about meditation and philosophy and like he's smart and he's a very very smart cat, like really really smart. But we got down and sat, got to talking, and I was trying to explain to him that one of the worst things that we can do as God's creation is to um, to distort the dichotomy between creator and creation. In other words, God is the creator, we are his creation, and almost almost every heresy that's out there, any heresy you want to talk about, conflates creator and creation. So pantheism, all is God. right? The trees are God, and the sun is God, and the birds and the bees and the flowers. And he was talking to me about these kind of things, and he was saying, well... You know, I, I don't I don't really like that God that you have there. I like the God that I know who he is. Like I know him. And so we got to talking about that and I said, you know, um I work with kids a lot. I was telling the guy this, I said, I work with kids a lot. And do you know what the what do y'all think the main question kids ask about God? Can anybody does anybody know? What's he look like? That's that's a big one. Yeah, they ask that one a lot, but there's one a little bigger than that. Can anybody think of any other questions that as a child you might ask about God? Have you met God? Well, they do ask that too, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Actually, the guy that was doing the hallucinogenic asked me last night if I had met him because he, he said he had, you know. And, and I said, yeah, you met a God all right. There's no doubt about it. A little G-God. But, what is God? Huh? What is God? It, the question that I get from kids the most is, who made God? Oh, that's a good one. I was about to say that. Who made God? Well, what's the answer? My brain shuts off right there. Right? What's the answer? He always said he was the Alpha and Omega. I am. Yeah. Who made God? He did. No one made him. He's always been. Now, why are these kids asking this question? Why are they asking the question? Why are they asking that? Because they want to understand him. 
And in look, look at that verse again in 11.33. Oh, the depth, the riches, or the wisdom, the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and unfathomable are His ways. What does that mean? That's exactly right. Because He's the Creator and we're the creation. And if I were able to grasp Him with my mind, then that puts me on a level yeah, with him. Over him. Yeah, it puts me over Him. And that's exactly... Even as a kid... What we want to do is we want to get God in a box. We want to get Him where we can understand Him. Where we can know Him. Mm -hmm. Because if I can understand Him and I can know Him, then I can control Him. Okay? And you can live out your will as you please. Right. And so we're going to see this in just a second. So think about it. These kids are asking, who made God? Well, why are they asking that? Because they are made. We are created and we understand that. We understand the creation all around us. But then we try to apply our minds and our knowledge and what we know and what we who we are, creation, we try to wrap God into that. We try to bring Him down to where we can grasp Him. You see? You yeah. see how that works? And so why are they asking that? Because they want to understand Him. And the reality is, we, we'll never... Because... It, it said his wisdom and his knowledge. Now, we've talked about that in the past. What is the difference in wisdom and knowledge? Who remembers? We've talked about this several times. Knowledge is what you no. know. Good. That's very easy. It's kind of obvious, right? A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, P, Q, R, S, T, U, V, W, X, Y, Z. Now I no. know my ABCs. That's knowledge. And you can teach a three or two year old to sing that song. Now I know my ABC. Next time, won't you sing with me? And then I can look at that little two-year-old and say, "Hey, kid, W-I-S-D-O-M." And what is that kid going to say? What? what? Oh, wisdom is the is able to distinguish between wisdom is what being you able know. to wisdom is being able to apply what you know. Apply what you know. That's you see. So you can be like you can be like Rain Man and answer every question on Jeopardy and not be able to pull water out of a boot. If the directions were on the bottom. You know what I'm saying? Like, Are you with me? Like, You can have all kind of head knowledge. But if you don't have wisdom to go along with it, it does you no good. And so God is the source of all knowledge. God is the source of all wisdom. Well, there's a worldly wisdom. But any true wisdom, any true knowledge is from God. And it's a gift from Him as well. But what we want to do is we want to get Him in a box where we can understand Him. So what I want to do, turn back in Romans a couple of pages. I want, let's, let's look. Um, look at Romans chapter 1. Let's go to Romans chapter 1. I don't know how many of y'all have studied Romans chapter 1, but boy, it's really a kick in the teeth. Alright, and so... Paul started in verse 16 of Romans chapter 1 and he's basically claiming, he said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God, the salvation for everyone who believes. So the gospel is the good news and Paul is saying, look, I'm not ashamed of this good news that I'm sharing with you because it's the very power of God to give you eternal life. Like, I'm not ashamed of His promises. I'm not ashamed of that empty tomb. I'm not ashamed of what He went through on that cross to save me. And I'm not ashamed of what He's made me. He's made me a slave. Did you know that I... Matter of fact, look at verse 1. You'll see verse 1. Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. You know what that word bondservant means? Slave. He said, I'm Jesus' slave. But He's the most free man on walking the face of the earth. When you are a slave to Jesus, you are free indeed. You see? You're serving Him. 
You're doing what He says. And so Paul says, I'm not ashamed of this gospel, this good news, because it's the power of God and the salvation. But, and so, why do we need this salvation? Why do we need this good news? Because look at verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. Alright, so let's look at those two verses there really quick. The wrath of God. Right? What is the wrath of God? His anger. Anger. Holy burning anger. God poured His wrath out on Sodom and Gomorrah. He was angry with them. Their evil had come up before Him. God destroyed this whole world in wrath with a flood. Only uh, Noah and his wife and his three sons and his three daughter-in-laws and two of every kind of animal survived. And it was only God's grace that got them into that boat. And because they were in that boat, they didn't experience the wrath of God. The boat sheltered them from God's wrath. (coughs) So what Paul's saying here is the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. Of men who suppress the truth in unbelief. Alright, so what that means is God's wrath right now is being placed upon all of those who are ungodly and unrighteous. If you've got friends that are still caught out there in the drug scene or in, 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 in the party scene, uh, if you've got friends that are caught up in extramarital affairs, they're out there living a life that's wrong, God's wrath is upon them. They might not want to admit it, but His wrath is upon them. His burning, righteous judgment is on their shoulders. When you sing about amazing grace and my chains are gone, the reason that you've got God's amazing grace and the chains are gone is because His wrath has been taken away from you. There is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. That's what Hallelujah. we're doing, Right? What does it mean? God's wrath is never going to be poured on you again. Why? Because Jesus drank that cup of wrath for you on the cross. And it is only because of what Jesus did that you can be free. Because you deserve God's wrath. I deserve God's wrath. How many people in this world deserve God's wrath? Everybody. There was only one man that lived that didn't deserve God's wrath, and he's the one that took it. Now, on Judgment Day, those who he did not pay to save are going to have to pay themselves. Those who never turn to Him in belief are going to pay and they're going to know God's wrath. It's going to be right in their face. Now, but what this passage is saying and what Paul is saying right here is this. The people that are living in unrighteousness and ungodliness, they know that there is a God and they are willfully suppressing that truth. What does it mean to willfully suppress truth? Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, I, I come up. I, I'm gonna pick on you guys because I used to be a. I used to chew tobacco, so I know what nicotine is about. But every one of you in this room know that those cigarettes are gonna kill you. You know it. And now, I, I mean, the Surgeon General has gotten super obvious. Like it's in like large print on the side of the box. You know it. You've you've, you've watched the science. You know to understand it, and yet you still go out there and you smoke and you smoke and you smoke. And one day, the doctor's gonna come to you and say, "Sir, you got black lung spots all over your lungs." And then. If you're like the rest of humanity, you're going to say, why me, God? Is there some way we can fix this now? 
You see? And every time that you go out there and smoke a cigarette, now I'm just picking on you guys because I love you. Every time you go out there and smoke a cigarette, you are willfully suppressing the truth that it's bad for you. <laughs> you know it's bad and you're willfully suppressing that truth. Mm-hmm. Running around on the old lady, right? Yeah. You're willfully suppressing the truth. You're cheating with somebody's husband, uh, wife or husband. You're willfully suppressing truth and it's liable to cost you your life. But, but you know it's bad, you know it's wrong, and yet you willfully suppress that truth. Okay? And so what Paul is saying here is, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it's the power of God and the salvation, because there's a bunch of people running around here, and God's wrath is upon them, and they're willfully suppressing the truth. And it says, because that which is known about God is evident, for God made it evident in them. You were created in the image of God and all of nature around you screams out that there is a God there. And every time you ride down the road and see a a crushed animal on the side of the road with buzzers eating on him, you know that the wages of sin is death because you're reminded of the curses on this world around you. Every time you get a call, and I, I had to, you know, I had to bury my grandmother last week, my last grandparent, and she, it, it, she was 98. She knew the Lord. It was a very happy funeral. Like, well, not a happy funeral, but it was a good home going, right? But the reality is, we had to stand there and watch him lower that box in the ground, and it's a constant reminder that the wages of sin is death. We know it, but what do people do? They willfully suppress that truth and don't want to deal with it, right? We don't want to deal with that kind of stuff. Because we we know it's there. And we know God's there. And the atheists know that God is there. Think about the irony of the atheist telling you, I don't believe in God and I hate Him. <laughs> Have you ever thought about the irony in that? I don't believe in God and I hate Him. So... When you go when you go to college campus and you see a bunch of ungodly people protesting Christians or talking about God or whatever it might be, uh, you know you, you never see atheists go to the mall and protest Santa Claus. <laughs> they don't get big signs that walk around and say there is no Santa, there is no Santa, there is no Santa. Why? Why don't they do that? Yeah, they're afraid they might not get under, under the tree. That could be. Yeah, you better be be good or, or good for goodness sake, right? No, the reality is they know there's no Santa. They know it. I mean, when you're about eight years old, you know it. Now you don't say anything to your parents about knowing it because you're afraid if you let in on it, then you won't get your gifts. You see. <laughs> but even at eight, you're going in there and going, "Why are these Santa stuff in, in like boxes, Mattel boxes?" And like if Elf built it, why did the Mattel people package it up? And and why do they got price tags on it? And why are these receipts in this bag? You know. And like you're already clicking these things in your head. You know it's not real. But atheists don't protest Santa Claus because they know that he's a fairy tale. But they'll protest God with their last breath. They know deep down inside they're suppressing the truth that He's there. Ah, that's what it is. You see, they're willfully suppressing that truth, and it comes out in hatred and anger towards God. And so, look what it says: because that which is known about God is evident with them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes. His eternal power, His divine nature. Now these are all things in the next coming couple of lessons that we do together we're going to talk about. His eternal power, uh, His divine nature, having been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, 
so that they are without excuse. All right, so what it's saying is, is that every son of Adam, deep down inside of his heart, knows that there's a God. They'll deny it till their last breath. But they know that there is a God. Why? Because they were created in the image of God and you can never run away from that image. And you see it all around you and create you see his handiwork, right? In all of the creation around you. God is constantly screaming out that he's there. And you can either believe him and receive him and walk with him or reject him and willfully continue to spread that truth and bust hell wide open when you draw your last breath. Because God's wrath is on this world. So really quick, when, when it says, because that which is known about God is evident in them, for God made it evident in them, take your Bibles really quick and turn with me to Psalm 19. One of my favorite Psalms. Psalm 19. This is We've done this in the past too, so some of y'all might remember this. Psalm 19 is about the revelation of God. God's revealing Himself to man. So look what it says. Psalm 19, the heavens are telling the glory of God, and their expanses is declaring the work of His hands. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all of the earth, and their utterances to the end of the world. And in them He has placed a tent for the sun, which is a bridegroom coming out of its chamber. It rejoices as a strong man to run his course. Its rising is from one end of the heavens, and its circuit is at the other end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. So, the first six verses of Psalm 19 is David's way of saying God is speaking to us through the nature around you. God is screaming out from creation that He's there. The heavens are declaring His handiwork. And the sky proclaims His glory. Right? You go out there and look up in the sky and you wonder how far it goes. right? For real. And, and we get telescopes now and you know what we find? The more further out we can see, what do we know? There's more out there. And you get in on looking at a microscope and look down smaller and smaller. What is it? There's more smaller. Why? Because it's God's creation and He's the one that created it and you're never going to get to the end of it. Because He's unfathomable. But the nature around you is screaming out there, there is a God. And, and men re- reject that. But look what it says next. Verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimonies of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true, they are righteous altogether. More desirable than gold, yes, much more than fine gold. Sweeter than the honey dripping from the honeycomb. And moreover by them, by His words, your servant is warned. We are warned by God's word. And it says, in keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors and acquit me hidden from my hidden faults? This is what it's saying. The Word of God helps you to see when you're doing wrong. And the Word of God gives you the forgiveness you need when you realize it. Look at that verse again. That's what he's saying. Who can discern his errors and acquit me from my hidden faults? See, that's what God's Word does. It shows us where we're wrong, but not God doesn't just point at you to show you what's wrong so that you'll just live in condemnation. He points so that you'll turn to Him and find forgiveness for that wrong. 
You see? And then he says, uh, also, he'll keep you back from presumptuous sins. Let them not rule over me. What does what the old theologian said? Uh, John always said it this way. He said, um, this word will keep you from sin. This book will keep you from sin. Or sin will keep you from this book. It's going to be one or the other. If you're in God's Word, you'll be walking away from sin. But if you're living in sin, you won't want anything to do with God's Word. And so, guys, I, I say this in love to you to warn you that when you get out of here and you get back out on your own, if you find yourself not in His Word daily, you check yourself because you're drifting. Okay? And so he says, um, let... One of my favorite prayers that David prayed, Let the words of my mouth and the meditations in my heart be acceptable in your sight, O God, my rock and my redeemer. So this is what David's praying to God. He said, O God, let the things that I think about and let the things that I talk about and let the things that I do be pleasing to you. Allow your word to conform me so that the things that I think about and the things that I talk about and the things that I do are pleasing in your sight. Oh God, my rock, my foundation, and my redeemer, the one that saved me from sin. It's beautiful to think about. Alright, so now back to Romans and we'll wind down the class. Um, So, uh, verse 20 of Romans chapter 1, For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, His eternal power, His divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. So what's he saying? Now when you go back and think about that Psalms passage, because of God screaming out to you through the creation, and because God is screaming out through His words, His word, nobody has an excuse. There's enough light in nature to damn a man. There's not enough light in nature to save a man. What does that mean? Well, you can go somewhere in the middle of a jungle somewhere and find somebody that's never seen a missionary or a religious person in their life. And they may be running around with no clothes on and, and be a hunter-gatherer society. But the reality is they'll be praying to the sun or praying to the river or praying to a crocodile or a rock or a totem pole. Why? Because they were created to worship. And that's what they do. They're Adam's kids. And there's enough, And so what happens is, if they continue to worship the creation instead of the Creator, they are expressing their willful suppression of that truth. Okay? Now, it, I want to get through 23 if I can. For even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations... And their foolish hearts were darkened. So the more we willfully suppress the truth. Do you all remember the story of Pharaoh? What did it say? And God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And you say, you mean God? Pharaoh might have changed if you wouldn't have hardened his heart. heart. But what does it say next? And Pharaoh hardened his heart. So the more that you suppress that truth and push it down and suppress it, the more God takes His hands off of you. That's what Paul's saying right here. He said, this is how God shows you He's angry with you. He removes His hands of restraint from you and turns you over to yourself. That's how God's wrath is poured out on you. It can be poured out on you like Sodom and Gomorrah. And on Judgment Day, His wrath will be poured out on our physical bodies and our spiritual bodies. We, we, uh, if, if we're not in Christ, that is. You see? So there is judgment and fire and wrath. But one of the greatest ways that God judges people is He just simply lets them go be them. 
He just turns you over to yourself. And that's how God expresses His anger to you. It's kind of like where you were a little kid and a teenager and your parents said, okay, go ahead. Do it. Right? <laughs> they weren't meaning to go do it, but once they got to that point, they're fed up with you. You see? And so that's what God does. He removes His hand of restraint and turns people over to Himself. And so the rest of Romans shows what it looks like when we don't have God restraining us. And, and look at that verse 23, and we'll finish with that tonight. It says... Professing to be wise, they became fools, and they exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image. What is an image? An idol, an icon, a statue or something, right? That's the second commandment. Exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and a birds and a four-footed animals and crawling things. So, what is Paul getting at here? When God removes His hands of restraint from man and man turns away from God, then man was created to do what? Worship. So he's going to find something in the creation to worship. And it's going to... So it might be birds or bees or flowers or trees, but generally it always winds up worshiping man himself. The idol, the word idol starts with... And usually we're the biggest false god in our life. We're the one that takes up we're the one that gets all the praise and the glory and the worship in our life instead of God. And so think about that. Think about a couple things. Um, think about the Sphinx in, in, in Egypt, you know, or uh, all of these false gods out there in the world, all these statues and idols and images everywhere. Think about those things. What is man doing? This is what man is doing. He's saying, this is my God. I'm going to create him in my image. God created me in his image. But in my rebellion, I'm going to turn around and make him like me. So, you get a God like Zeus, who is the boss of all the other gods. He lives up on top of a mountain Olympus and tells all the other gods what to do. He's all-powerful. And at night, he goes down in the villages and sleeps with the local women and makes little demigods. Right? Well, does that sound like God or does that sound like some man's fantasy? It's some man's fantasy, you see. That's what they did. They created a God in their image. This is what I would do if I was God. Right? Think about the Mormons. Right? If you're a man in this room and you're a Mormon, a good Mormon, you get your own planet one day. And all the Mormon women get sent to your planet so that you can repopulate the planet. You'll be God and you repopulate the planet. That's what they believe. Now, I'm, not, I'm, telling, I'm just being honest with you. So think about that. Heaven for a Mormon is they get their own planet and then they get to just breed and repopulate the, the planet with little thems. Doesn't that sound amazing? Right? right? So you, you understand what's going on here. We were created in God's image and yet in our rebellion we turn around and say, God, I'm going to make you like I want you to be. And how many of your friends have you heard say something like this? Well, my God would never... Yeah. Blum, 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 blum. Well, you're right. They're right because their God is in their image, and it's always their God is always going to agree with them. You see, and so we need to understand. So now let's talk about the kid again. What does a kid want to do? Who made God? I need him where I can grapple with him and understand him and control him, and that's what we do. You see, I look at that last passage in eleven again. What does it say? 11.33 Oh, the depth 
and the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable are all of His judgments and unfathomable His ways, for who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has become His counselor? Right? And you do that, guys, ladies, when we pray at night. When we're praying to God, and we're praying, y'all write it up here all the time, I-J, in Jesus' name, right? What you're saying when you say in Jesus' name is you're saying Jesus would ask for this. It's according to His will. Okay? But almost every time that we pray and ask God about something, maybe it's a relationship that we want to have, it's usually about some girl we really like. You see? Or it's about me getting out of my financial situation. And it's in Jesus' name because we want Him to be like us. We want Him to answer our prayers the way we need them answered. And so even as believers, we can get into trouble with this. We want to conform God to our image as a part of our fallenness. So it says, um, Who has first given to Him that He might uh, be paid back? God does not need anything from you. Let me say that again. God needs nothing from you. It's that simple. He's the Creator. He even told me, he said, if I was hungry, would I ask you for food? Like, God doesn't need anything. We are the ones in need. And we try to flip that on its head. And so it says, of Him and through Him and to Him are all things to whom be the glory forever and ever. It's about Him. It's not about you. And guys, when we were struggling with our addictions, it was all about us. We were completely embracing and surrounded and, 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 and consumed with self. And God won't have it that way. You'll either turn from self and trust Him and walk with Him, or you'll turn away from Him and walk with yourself and He'll remove His hands from you and turn you over to your own destruction. So, thank you all guys for your time. Let's close with a quick prayer. We're done. Father, thank you for this night. Um, Thank you in the coming weeks as we get a chance to talk more about you and about your son and and about uh, the Holy Spirit. Help us to come to you with um, a recognition that without your word, we can't know anything about you. And we need to know you. We we need to, to, to grow in our knowledge of who you are and grow in wisdom. And God, all of that's got to come from you. It's got to come from your word, and it's got to come from you. So help us, Lord. Help all of us in this room to stop looking in the mirror and help us to start looking up to you who sits on the throne and help us to recognize that you are God and you are holy, holy, holy. You are King of kings and Lord of lords, and we are your creation, and we need you. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.